1: Hey guys, on today's pod I had on Liar Kozai. Liar came on to discuss the NBA trade line and more specifically the Raptors trade deadline involving the big deal with Marc Gasol. Him and I discussed Marc Gasol's fit with the Raptors, how we thought the Raptors did on the trade as far as an asset and the price of that asset, and then you know how the Raptors deal relates to the rest of the teams around the NBA. In general, I'm a fan of the deal. I think you got a lot better with the addition of Gasol in place of Valanchunas. And I really don't think you gave up a lot to get it. DeLon Wright was probably not coming back when you look at his impending restrictive free agency and the two, you know, passes this team could take this offseason, whether it be re-signing Kawhi Leonard and then DeLon probably becomes too expensive, or rebuilding and then DeLon's probably too old for a rebuild as he's already 26, going on 27 years old. Then you got rid of the C.J. Miles contract, which at this point is pretty undoubtedly looking like a negative asset. Me and Leor discussed that and a lot more in this pod, so I hope you guys enjoy. You can follow Leor on Twitter at L-I-O-R underscore K-Z. And of course, check out all of his work at Def Pen.
0: How's it going?
1: Yeah, how's it going, man? Uh, doing good. Just a lot of Raptor stuff to go over lately. A lot of writing to do. I brought you on here, of course, to talk about the Raptors' big acquisition, and that is the acquisition of Malcolm Miller. So, (laughs) um, actually, we're gonna go into the Marcus All trade, uh, the NBA trade deadline in general. Obviously, a lot has happened in the East with three of the four teams making a significant move and the Celtics kind of staying pat. I guess I'll start with you, just your big overall question. What was your biggest takeaway from the trade deadline?
0: Um, my biggest takeaway is that um, everyone's all in, right? I mean, obviously the Celtics stood pat, but we know they have the bigger plans for Anthony Davis. But just, I was actually pretty surprised that the Sixers of all teams would be all in considering where they've been to this point so we kind of saw obviously Milwaukee's feeling pretty good about their chances and going again with Meritage and then obviously we already knew their Raptors were all in with Kawhi so now they're going out and getting a soul, and just everyone's everyone's calling it the arms race right so all the teams at the top of the East really feel like they have a pretty good shot of if not just making the finals maybe even they think like an injury or break, an injury break or two go their way, and they want to be at Golden State, right?
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, it kind of felt as if, and this is never how you want to run a team, and I don't think Masai was thinking this particularly, but after you saw the 76ers make their move and you saw the Bucks make their move for Miritich, it kind of almost felt as if the Raptors standing pat would have been a sign of trouble or something like that, just because, as everybody else improves around you, you staying pat is kind of hard to stomach. I don't think that that played a huge factor in Toronto's positioning, but it does just, I think, as kind of a fan base and as media, it helps you feel a little bit of an ease after seeing everybody else make their move that Toronto
0: kind of made theirs, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Masai said in his press conference, right, like... um he basically said we're not looking at other teams or trying to improve our own team, but at the same time, I mean, fan, as fans, of course, we're going to look at our own team and we're going to see, and we're going to see all the moves happening first. The Tobias trade was obviously like the first piece, and then Meritage kind of a little later. But you see those moves happening around you, and you kind of get a little nervous because we're already not sure the Raptors are the best team in the East. The Bucks have been playing like it. So of course, like making a move like that would um, would make you feel a little more comfortable that like the Raptors are really looking for them.
1: Yeah, and you know, kind of to his point, he mentioned that they weren't looking at other teams. A lot of those trade discussions that were leaked earlier now make a little more sense, and probably were true. Toronto probably was calling Memphis to discuss the Hornets or to discuss the swap of Lowry and Valanciunas. I don't know if Lowry was ever involved in those trade deals. However, kind of looking back at it now with hindsight, it's very possible he was. So I do tend to believe Masai in that aspect that Toronto probably was looking to make these deals before any of the subsequent moves were made. I guess just kind of as we talk about the deal, what were your overall thoughts of Toronto's value and what they returned? And... Now, how does that improve them or does it improve them this season?
0: Um, so I thought I saw like a lot of extreme reactions kind of on both sides. I mean like in the Twitter circles, you know, some people were kind of like condemning the trade and saying like, you know, J V's got such a better um he has such a better defensive field goal percentage at the rim, so he's a better rim protector. And then then Gasol, and then I see like some of the more casual fans on Facebook are like, Marcus Sall, Defensive Player of the Year, and he hasn't been Defensive Player of the Year for six years, right? He's not an all-star anymore. And I think it's not always the case, right? Sometimes it's either a huge winner or a huge loss. I think in this case it's kind of in the middle, but I lean towards um, they definitely improved the team. I just think C.J. Miles, ultimately, he had a rough season. He wasn't going to get minutes in the playoffs. line, right? He's a nice player, but he's a restricted free agent. And ultimately, it's not a huge loss, especially when you have two great point guards and Kyle Lowry and obviously Fred Van Vliet's playing well as a backup. And then um, and then really, it's a JV for Marcus Gasol's swap, right? And is just a better player. He spaces the floor a little better. He had a rough stretch um, kind of the last few weeks or like um, a month or two, versus like his splits for the first half of the season so far were a lot better, but I think part of that is obviously due to Memphis struggling. He has a little less motivation, and I think when it comes to a contending team like this, I mean, you're just getting a better shooter, a better post defender, and that's just huge against some of these teams, especially Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Boston, obviously.
1: I'm with you. I, I am a, a pretty big fan of the trade. First, just as far as what we've given up, to me, C.J. Miles' contract was pretty clearly a negative value at this point in time when you consider he wasn't going to play for Toronto. He had another, he has a player option that he's going to accept for next year. So you look at about $7 million on the books for next year, DeLon Wright is a pretty reasonable price to pay for that. If Kawhi comes back, DeLon Wright is, the tax concerns of bringing DeLon back are, are too high, so I don't expect him to come back if Kawhi comes back. And if Kawhi leaves, you're talking about a player who's kind of sneaky old. He's a little bit older than you would expect given his time out of college because he stayed in college for a couple years. So I'm not sure if you're keeping him for a rebuild or if Kawhi comes back. So to me, you weren't losing much there. CJ's a negative contract, so you're losing that. It's basically, like you said, a Gasol for J.B. swap and... You give up a second rounder in 2024. I don't believe many people were concerned about that. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but So it's basically a swap of JV for Gasol, and particularly when you look at who Toronto needs to worry about when you talk about Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Boston, I think he's a better matchup for those three teams. And other than that, I don't really care about their performance against the other you know 26
0: teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, JV had some great games against Philly, but like Marcus I mean, he's arguably the best post defender in the league. still. his foot speed isn't great, but if you're gonna put him on a post up, he's just he's just really strong. He's smart. And he knows where to get. Um, he knows how to get good positioning, and um, and that will be huge against Embiid. He might struggle a little bit to chase Horford, but the Celtics still play Baines like a good amount, and um. And Baines just dominated the Raptors in their last game against against Boston when JV was out. And I mean, you still need someone to match up with those bigger, tougher centers. And um, and does that, right?
1: Yeah. So you mentioned he'll struggle versus Boston. I, I'm with you there. When you consider that Nurse basically gave up playing JV against Horford at all, if he just can give you yeah. a couple minutes versus Horford. It's a win over what JV provided. Uh, as far as Philly, you're right. Um, I don't have the synergy numbers in front of me right now, but Gasol has been, you know, top five in the league or one of the best in the league on defending post ups, even as he's gotten mm-hmm. older, and perhaps even more as he's gotten older. So, yes, JV's done a pretty good job against Joe Embiid. I have a hard time believing that Gasol's not going to be better just because he's, you know, one of the best okay. players in the league when it comes to defending the post. And Milwaukee, I don't think he's a particularly great matchup, but Milwaukee likes to drop their big in the pick yeah. and roll and play that really traditional style. Gasol, at least, can give a legitimate popping option as opposed to JV, who's really only a roll threat. So to me, he's a better matchup against those three teams. Um, Absolutely. You know, Golden State, I think, is someone that you kind of cross that bridge when you get there. You worry about the East first and. I'm not sure it really matters one way or another. If anything, he's probably a slight upgrade there, too. So, yeah, like kind of just what I said earlier, It's to me it's how do you match up versus Philly, how do you match up versus Boston, how do you match up versus uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, how do you match up against those three teams? And then what happens against the other teams where I think JV kind of was at his best playing against weaker teams, I'm just I'm not concerned about those teams.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, yeah, and Gasol, as you said, um, against the drop coverage on the pick and roll, he's going to be huge against a team like Milwaukee. And I think just in general against those three teams. I mean, I did this whole, um, Twitter thread on it where I was kind of looking at the pros and cons of this. And just my biggest takeaways were one, Gasol is just such a better shooter than either of the Raptors' centers, really, because. Ibaka is a great mid range shooter, but he's shooting about 29% from three this year. He's just, his three point shot has fallen off a cliff. He's not a threat out there anymore. So it really comes down to um, Gasol is really the only three point shooting center the Raptors have. And that just provides a lot more space for Kawhi Leonard to get to the rim, Pascal Siakam to get to the rim, sometimes Kyle Lowry. And also, um, he's an elite passer for a big man. I mean, outside of Nikola Jokic, he's pretty much the best passing center in the league. He's having a career-high assist season, even in kind of a down season in general for the Grizzlies. Um, yeah, he's averaging over four assists, and he's just, he can work from the high post. I believe, um, I forget who, who tweeted it, but he's led the league in high post touches for the last six seasons. So you can basically use him as kind of a hub at the elbow and have other players play off him, which I think is huge for a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi is a great cutter. Siakam as well. And you can just kind of make it easier for everyone else playing off the ball.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, the person is Micah Adams, uh, just because I saw right. that tweet earlier today. Okay, Yeah, Yeah, he serves as someone, you know, I've long thought that the starting lineup has lacked a bit of playmaking since the departure of DeMar DeRozan. Uh, DeMar was the team's second-leading assist player last season. Kawhi Leonard, for all his strengths, I would say his one weakness is that he's not as good of a passer as DeMar DeRozan was. He's not good of a playmaker for others. He, Tamika Saul, serves as a player who's just... He helps with facilitating, and that will allow the starting unit, up, I think... Kyle Lowry's going to play a lot more unit minutes with the bench, and you when you do that, you have to have someone that you can kind of run as a central hub of the offense. Gasol is someone who will kind of facilitate to others in a way JV couldn't, and he's just another option that you have to kind of use as a central hub as other players move off-ball when you have so many off-ball players like Toronto has right now.
0: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: So talking about what Toronto gave up, what how do you think the impact of Delon Wright and CJ Miles are? Obviously Miles has fallen out of the rotation some. I don't know if you believe that he's gonna work his way back in there. He's been shooting tremendously cold. However, he was, you know, starting to show a few signs of life in the past couple weeks. And the the more important one obviously is Delon Wright, who will be leaving the backcourt and was playing Pretty much all season, he received one or two coaches DNP. Obviously, in the Houston game, which made a big rumble. Do you think this this team will particularly miss them coming off the bench, or
0: how do you think that impacts the team? I mean, I love the one, Right, I wrote like a whole article on him. Basically, just as an excuse to kind of compile his like awesome highlights. I mean, he's just a fun player to watch. He has like really nice crossovers, the wild layups. We all kind of know about him, but at the same time, I don't think he would have been like a huge, a real difference maker. I just don't think... I mean, it helps because um, he allows Van Vliet to play off the ball, and Van Vliet is just much better off the ball as a catch-and-shoot guy um, than when he's creating and when he's forced to kind of run the offense. But um, as you said, we expect Kyle Lowry to play more with the bench, and they were kind of misusing Dolan right in Ben Fleet all season, and using Dolan off the ball where he's not as effective because he's not a great spot up shooter. So, kind of by the product of them misusing him, and also just um, just the fact that he's you know he's a backup point guard, he's not going to do all that much. And rotations get shorter in the playoffs anyway. So, the Raptors obviously relied on their bench a lot last season, and That was kind of their downfall when the bench didn't perform as well in the playoffs. They had some injuries, but putting that aside, this season the bench hasn't been good regardless whether they're healthy or not. And, you know, you're not really losing all that much with the long right. You do want to cut that rotation a little bit, and I think they can pretty much replicate his production with a buyout guy. Some people were talking about Jeremy Lin. That's kind of the high-end level, but honestly, if they can just, get someone to fill that for the rest of the regular season, they'll probably be fine in the playoffs with just Lowry and Bentley.
1: I agree with that. I I thought DeLon was seriously at risk of being cut out of the rotation completely in the playoffs anyways. He's been really hesitant to shoot this year and has really lacked aggression at times. Over the past couple weeks, he's picked it up, particularly on the defensive end where he's kind of picked up full court at moments and really made an impact defensively. But he's really become a liability on the offensive end and it's partially like you said due to playing off the ball but partially I think it's just due to a regression from him he's been unwilling to shoot in a lot of situations where DeLon should be shooting and was shooting last year as far as the upside play of him I mean he's 26 nearly 27 yeah at, at some level Raptor fans talked about him being the point guard of the future. You know, he should be the point guard of right now, considering his age. This is his prime. I don't know if you're going to see another step in development. He's a good player, but I don't don't think you're losing anything in the future as far as next year. There was a large chance to me that he wasn't going to come back either way.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he doesn't have all that much room for growth. He could be, I think, like a low-end starting point guard, maybe in Memphis, but... At the same time, like he shows flashes, and then I don't know if you can really rely on him for you know, 25, 30 minutes a game. And, I mean, once Norman Powell kind of found his footing, um, he came back a totally different player this season after his injury. And um, once he kind of forced his way into the rotation by way of playing well, Dolan Wright right just didn't have as much of a role. Do you think that Norman
1: Powell can keep this up? I've been kind of hesitant on believing in Norman Powell all season and I'm just about getting to the point where I'm about to break and fully embrace Norm
0: um I do actually I mean he obviously had just like a terrible terrible season last year it was pretty much a a worst case scenario for him after like a promising start to his career but I think he can I think he's more comfortable in his role now he kind of knows what's expected of him He's not expected to do all that much, but he's making, I believe, over 40% of his threes this year. Um, He Obviously, he always plays hard defense, and he's athletic. And he just looks more focused and a little... He's taking his time. He's a little smarter this year. He was always forcing kind of reckless drives in the past, and he's kind of picking his spots a little better and getting good shots, and I mean, it's done a lot for him, it's made him just play a lot better, and even if the second unit isn't playing better, like, those all-bench lineups have been terrible, he's actually been pretty good when he's alongside the starters.
1: Yeah, he he's someone that struggles, I still think, with decision-making at times, however, I'm not sure you have to be an even above average decision maker to thrive in the league. Obviously, it helps, but you look at someone like Serge Ibaka has made a career without. Being <laughs> a particular, like I just to call it how it is, Serge is, he struggles with decision making uh, yeah. at different times and lets the ball stick. I still think you can be an, a productive player. It's a little hard harder as a guard to do that. However, the other positives that he brings, I think, just overwhelm the couple of mistakes that you get due to dribbling into traffic and jumping for a pass that you don't need to
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i agree i mean he's more of a finisher than a playmaker right like he's not going to make any special passes but he'll just he knows as long as he's in the right spots he'll get those catch and shoot threes like quick catch and drive and i mean he's not going to see the pass very often but he'll finish plays which is what he's expected to do kind of
1: yeah, exactly, and it's it's your job as a coach, and Nick Nurse has done an excellent job of putting him in a position where that's all he's asked to do. Yeah. So, I guess, looking at it now, the trade deadline has shaken out. How would you rank the top four teams in the East in terms of who would you place to get out of the East right now, and who do you think has the highest upside of all the teams?
0: That's a tough question. I I tried to answer it for um, Josh Eberle's um, roundtable earlier this week for Hoop Magazine, and honestly, like that was just before all the trades went down, and it's kind of useless now, right, because just the whole thing shook up. But I think I still have to give credit to Milwaukee as, I guess, the favorite to come out of the East, just because when you watch them, they just, they look flawless. Obviously, we talked about the drop coverage. That's kind of their weakness. A spacing center um, and B could hurt them in the playoff series, but they've just got good defenders at almost every position. They're, they've got the best player in the East in Giannis, and they've just got shooters all over the floor. I don't think they have anything that that could be exploited so hard in a playoff series that would make them look weaker like obviously you're looking at a one seed last year in the Raptors who just got destroyed in the second round but the Cavs had LeBron and the Raptors kind of had a shaky defense against top 10 teams and you look at the Bucks; they're a top five offense a top five defense their net rating has been that up a championship level team and I think right now they're just they're the best team in the East at the moment um yeah, I mean, it's tough to sort out the next three, right? what um, do you have for second and third?
1: Well, I'm with you that Milwaukee's the best team right now. I don't think that that's really debatable at this time, just considering how well they played, and then you give Miritich as another guy to throw in. I also think it's in some ways that they have the lowest ceiling of all the teams. You know, just to me, they don't have that elite top-end talent Compared to, I mean, certainly compared to Philadelphia, but just compared to the rest of the teams. So I don't know if they would necessarily be my pick to get out. But you're right; they're the best team right now. If yeah. if you're talking right now, I think, gosh, Tobias Harris changes things in Philadelphia. They're someone who I've always kind of put as the distant fourth place team that I didn't yeah. feel is that much of a threat but now with Tobias Harris he just fits in so well for them offensively and defensively. He's not a, you know, an elite player, but he's very capable. Now that his offensive role is shrunk, I think he might even become better when you talk about Embiid and how he can take over a series. To me, they at least are the team with the highest potential, I think. To if everything clicks for them, they're the scariest in my eyes.
0: Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, when they first made the Harris trade, I was thinking, you know, they got rid of Shamit, and they really don't have a bench. But, like, you look at the guys they got back. Mike Scott, I mean, he's not a great player. He burns the Raptors every time. But he's at least, like, a stretch four off the bench. And then Boban is, like, if you can give him 10, 15 minutes a game and he can actually produce really well, they might need another big man to just... um, give them a different look, a faster guy defensively, but they're going to look on the buyout market, and they got James Ennis from Houston, which I thought was a really good trade for them, just giving up um, either a second-round pick or cash, um, and they pretty much got him for free, and he's a solid defensive wing. He can hit the three a little bit, so you're basically, as long as they can stagger their starters properly, which obviously that's going to be a key for them, and maybe find a guy or two on the buyout I would agree with you. Like, they have the highest ceiling right now. Whether they reach that ceiling, I mean, that's that's what's up for debate, right?
1: Sure, yeah. It's, it's very possible they don't. As far as the buyout market right now, the only, you know, two concrete options we have seen is Wesley Matthews in Indiana and Wayne Ellington in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Raptor fans were upset, I think, a lot where – at least hoped that either of those two options would come to Toronto. Considering how deep the rotation is right now, that was, to me, a a bit of a long shot anyways. And, you know, in many aspects, you can just count that as a win. They didn't go to one of the thinner, good teams of the conference. So a Wayne Mm -hmm. Ellington in Toronto helped some. A Wayne Ellington in Philadelphia helps a ton. Mm -hmm. So you can take the you know, the negative approach that, yeah, Toronto didn't get each player. In my eyes, it's a win that you didn't see Philadelphia get either player.
0: That's a great point. I didn't really think of it that way. I mean, Boston, obviously, I don't think. uh, They did um, get rid of Jabari Bird to free up a roster spot, but I don't think they're really in play for these guys. They just already have a deep enough rotation, but definitely Philadelphia. I mean, Milwaukee kind of has their rotation set, but... If Philadelphia find a guy like that, I mean that's just that's scary, right? Philadelphia is already pretty complete now, um, and I mean they dealt pretty well last night. Obviously, it's gonna take a little while to acclimate fully, they have a lot of guys who need the ball a lot. But I mean Philly, Philly's tough. I still, I still kind of lean towards them being fourth, just because I'm not sure if they're going to be able to maximize the four stars just by the nature of well, there's only one ball and all that. But obviously, if they stagger them, if they kind of, as you said, Harris is a great fit for them. So they could reach that potential. Um, I still think Boston is Boston is kind of on the, they're trending upward, right? Um, they've had, I think, it was, they're twenty five and nine in the last thirty four games. Um something like that after starting ten and ten. Yeah, yeah, they've been on fire after that slow start. Yeah. yeah, I mean had some like bad opponents, right? But in general they've just been they've been playing really well. I picked them to win the East um in the preseason and um obviously they started slow and I mean I was happy to see that from a Raptors perspective, but I still think just with their defense, they're well-coached, and with Kyrie Irving's ability to take over pretty much any game, he always finishes games well. Like You never know with Boston. So it's between them and the Raptors, I think, for second in the East. And, I mean, it's kind of a toss-up for me now, especially since we haven't seen Gasol. We can't really know what he's going to look like for the Raptors. Sure, yeah. I
1: I wrote a piece uh, a little bit before the deadline that the Celtics were still the team to fear in the Eastern Conference from a Raptors perspective. I, like you, put them as the team to win the East. I thought that they were going to be a little bit better than this preseason, but they found their footing, and Gordon Hayward still isn't back, which to me is, you know, that's going to, in many ways, be the bellwether of their team if he can be at least a starter quality player that adds so much to them offensively and defensively. But right now, you're right, they have Kyrie Irving and L. Horford who, as Draymond put it, they're sixteen game players and there's eighty two yeah. game players. And those guys are sixteen game players. I mean That's Kyrie cool. Kyrie Irving's a better postseason player than he is, a regular season player. And I think the same is true for El Horford, especially now as he starts to kind of you know, age a little bit and rest and understand his minutes wisely, which I agree with. They're a team that, yeah, they didn't make a move, which starts to kind of make them forgotten about. However, when you just consider how many pieces they have and how deep they are, they're up there as well as the other teams. I'm with you that it's, you know, it's probably right now, if you had to ask me the best teams, I think Milwaukee, Boston's the second best team, Toronto's third, and Philly's fourth. If you ask me who I expect to get out of the East, it might be the exact opposite of that order.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like it's really impossible to tell how exactly these teams will play. I mean, we need to see like a few games of kind of their new their new looks, their new players. But I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with that. I think it's like really really close right now and. And we'll have to kind of see how these teams adapt in the playoffs. Um, the first round is going to be, I think, mean, kind of a formality. Indiana will put up a fight. I mean, like, I wouldn't count out Indiana just because they play so hard, but obviously with all the depot out, they're probably not beating any of those four teams. And then the second round, I mean, I couldn't, like, I couldn't pick a series between any of these teams right now. I mean, I, even even in May, it's going to be tough. So we'll have to see about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you were just a fan of basketball and not any particular team, you probably watch all the Western Conference games in the first round and all the East in the second because, as yeah. you mentioned, the, fir- the first round should be just a formality, and then the second round is where things will get good. Um, as we kind of look towards the rest of the season, Toronto has four open roster spots. Technically, Malcolm Miller was only signed to a 10-day. I fully expect him to To be converted to a rest of the season contract. Who do you think Toronto should, or rather than specifics, I guess, what kind of player would you expect Toronto to target with these remaining kind of roster spots?
0: Um, I would expect um, a playmaking guard, especially with the line right getting traded. Just, um, Just one more off the bench. I don't think necessarily that's the type of player who will be that effective in the postseason, but you never know with injury luck and it's good for insurance and also just they like to play two point guards at a time. So another playmaking guard and then maybe a third string center. Obviously, Greg Monroe got traded. I mean, he wasn't playing well anyway. So I'm not too worried about that loss, but I just think Chris Boucher isn't ready yet as a two way contract. Um, he's still 200 pounds at 610 and you kind of needs to stop. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable he's he's talented but he's still a little wild um you just need kind of an insurance guy at center just someone like someone like robin lopez would be like the high-end ideal but i don't think they're gonna get a guy like that just just like no he's he's
1: one i don't think he'll get released To yeah he's made it pretty clear that he's going to golden state if he is
0: Oh, really? But, I, I mean, see. maybe
1: Boogie playing well changes that,
0: but he yeah. it was leaked earlier that he wanted oh, to go to Golden State. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised anyway, yeah. Yeah, I, I just didn't think... I don't think he wants to be a third-string center, right? And, I mean, he'd fit in well. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I can't believe his brother
1: isn't recruiting him a little bit better, but <laughs> he would think... he could. I mean, yeah. he could be the backup in Milwaukee, but we'll,
0: we'll see. Yeah, I mean... I might expect Meritage to play some center just because I'm not sure about the fit defensively with uh with Lopez.
1: Yeah, and you can always play Giannis as the defensive center too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, so um now that rotation will be another interesting one to watch. Yeah, but as far as players, um one thing
1: that I would keep an eye on is Lorenzo Brown was was cut from the team, which I thought was weird that he yeah. wasn't traded to another team to be cut due to the luxury tax implications. I I wondered if it was Masai saving his cash in case he wanted to buy back into the draft, which it very, well, it, it very well could have been. However, I also think there's a very good chance that since he was cut, he can be picked back up by Toronto. I would kind of be shocked if he wasn't added to the roster by the end of the 15-day period.
0: Yeah, that would make sense for someone who's familiar with the team. And, I mean, Lorenzo Brown, he's not a high upside guy by any means. I mean, he's pretty old and and he is what he is. But he put, he provided some quality minutes. He hustled. He had his moment in the Indiana game where he kind of played on the stretch um, when they made a huge comeback. So, I mean, he definitely would be the type of guy to look for as a third or fourth point guard.
1: And then you were totally right about the Chris Boucher point. He's not ready at this point in time. Mm-hmm. He's he's still too thin defensively. He's more active than he is good. People kind yeah. of confuse the block shots and the steals, and but he's just a little all over the place, and maybe that gets coached out of him. He's another one who, like Delon, is sneaky old. Who's yeah? I, I think he's twenty five or twenty six. But yeah, yeah, yeah. um. But, yeah, he's he's not ready there yet, and I'd rather have a guy even... The fact that Greg Monroe was playing with Nurse and the team still thought it was necessary to trade him in order to open up a roster spot <laughs> shows how little faith there is in Chris Boucher at this time, I think, because clearly, or maybe it's a disagreement between the staff and the thing, but clearly they didn't trust Greg Monroe, and if you look at the minutes, he trusted Chris Boucher even less than
0: that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean... I wouldn't trust either of them. But it's nice to have that third center just um just in case of injury, right? I mean we saw Balanchunas just go down for almost two months, so it's yeah, it's always good to have that insurance.
1: Yeah, you know, I think as in general as a basketball team, you can always kind of expect one rotation piece to be out of the picture due to injury and if it's a center in the playoffs well I guess I'll ask you, if it's a center in the playoffs, do you think that it would be the third center would receive the minutes, or do you think that they'd finally go small, as so many fans have asked for?
0: Um, depends on the matchup, I think, because I mean, we saw on Sunday against the Clippers, like Boban just feasted on the Raptors' second unit. Um, it was it was kind of ridiculous, like how easy it was for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, so against Philly, they'd probably have to stay big, like the whole game. Um, yeah, just, just out of necessity just because of how big their centers are but against a team like Milwaukee where they might play Giannis at some center um DJ Wilson isn't gonna kill you um I think Siakam is definitely there's gonna be a series even if the Raptors are healthy where they'll have to go to him at center and I feel pretty comfortable with that obviously they're gonna have rebounding issues but they've kind of had rebounding issues regardless and and I just think Siakam at the five gives them so much spacing. It makes them fast. And when they play fast, I mean, they've been a totally different team. They've been a lot better, I think, because they just they don't bog down into the ISOs, and they have a lot of athletic, long guys. Lowry smart in finding those guys, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, obviously, and some of the bench guys um, running the break. That's a good point. I I guess I didn't think of
1: it deeply enough into the but you're right. When it's Philadelphia, you probably have to stay big at all costs, even if you're playing a lesser player. When it's Milwaukee or Boston will be interesting. It could kind of go either way. They will yeah. play with that smaller unit. You made a, you brought up a great point that I've been kind of hammering when they played Greg Monroe rather than Pascal at center. That this team doesn't rebound well anyways. I'd rather at least have a ton of defensive players running around, switching everything, and live with poor rebounding. Rather than trying to pretend like we're a good rebounding team and staying big with Monroe, but yeah. luckily that's not going to be an issue anymore. Um, <laughs> lastly, I guess I'll just kind of ask you what are what are you focusing on for the final stretch of the season? We have I think 25 games, if I have that right. The final yeah. 25 games of the season. What are you watching for? Not only with the integration of Marcus All, but just in general for this team.
0: Um. Just um. Yeah, I mean, the integration of Gasol is obviously the biggest thing just in terms of, um, who's going to start and how do they play those minutes? I think, I think, um, Gasol and Siakam would be the natural starters. And I would be really disappointed if Siakam is coming off the bench to start. Um, I just think the fit in terms of Siakam, like Siakam has been their second or third best player all season. He's just more important to what they do than I think even Gasol will be, and they they played Ibaka and Valanciunas 13 minutes together all season after playing like about 1,500 last season, and this is just who they are, they're a smaller team, they're faster, they have some more playmaking, so I think Ibaka and Gasol may play a little together. But I want to see um, when those minutes come, and I don't want there to be too many of those minutes. I hope Ibaka is willing to come off the bench because they kind of had that plan, right, to stagger or to um, to play him in Valentinus and kind of alternate depending on the matchup who's going to start. And I don't think soul will be too happy about coming off the bench. But you never know. I mean, they do have um, Team Spain's coach as their... Uh, As an assistant coach, so they kind of hopefully can build that relationship with Gasol, and obviously Baca, their relationship's already there, so yeah, that's probably my number one thing to watch, just um, how they play those three bigs, and um, and who comes off the bench, and how often and who closes games, really.
1: That's a good point. Uh, I'm with you. I would be very upset if it turns into a situation where Abaca is playing alongside Gasol in order to kind of satisfy both their egos yeah. in respect to starting. Uh, Sergio Scarleo is the uh, Spain's head yeah. coach that you're re- referencing. To me, in, this is the situation where real basketball people kind of have it. I think they have it right over the, the bloggers and the outside people where we – I'm with you, I would like to see a matchup-by-matchup matchup basis, but you just don't know how that yeah. impacts everything. And you brought up a great point. You don't know if Marcus Gasol is going to be happy or not, and that's something Nurse would like to manage. In a perfect world, you would like to see the same kind of situation where it's Ibaka versus Boston and it's Gasol versus Philadelphia, but it will be interesting to see kind of the rest of the way if they swap those two in and out or how they handle that.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'm not sure if Boston is um, still starting Aaron Baines when he's healthy, but if they go with the Baines-Horford frontcourt, then, I mean, maybe they go big with Gasol and Ibaka or preferably uh, Gasol and Siakam. But, yeah, that will be probably the number one thing to watch, just how they integrate those guys. And then I wanted to talk about um, just um, nurses' rotations in terms of He's been staggering the starters a little bit better lately, but he still has this tendency to go for the all-bench lineups. And, I mean, it just doesn't work, right? Um, yeah, they, I don't get it. Like, I, yeah. I don't, they oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, it basically lost them a game in Boston where they were up by 10 or so, and then they just went to this lineup for about six minutes to start the second quarter, and it basically lost them an entire game because that just killed all the momentum they had and it swung the game in Boston's favor. And it's just been, we kind of saw the the full five-man bench lineup last year and I was just, at first I was just, what are they doing? Why are they playing five bench players? Why aren't they staggering them? And then obviously the bench lineup became one of the best bench lineups maybe ever um, in terms of a five-man unit. Um, but, that is just such an anomaly, and we never see a full like hockey subs uh, five out, five in. So that lineup was obviously successful, but it just hasn't been this year. It's not the same lineup. They don't fit together quite as well. Obviously, CJ Miles wasn't playing as well, and they just kind of need to go somewhere else, and I don't know why Nurse continues to go back to me.
1: I don't get it either. Um, it, to me, it doesn't make sense, especially when you've seen – so far this season, and this happened, I looked this up a couple a couple weeks ago, but in 88 combined minutes, Kyle, Lee, Kyle Lowry with four bench players are plus 35. That's mm-hmm. really good. I don't understand why we feel this kind of need to play <laughs> all five bench units when you have a version that's very similar that works so much better.
0: Exactly.
1: And, you know, it worked last season, but things have changed. You don't have Jakob Pertl in there, and I just... To me, that's been kind of the biggest disappointments with Nurse so far this season is the rotations have been really bad. And, yeah. you know, the optimist would look at it and say he's mentioned how he's preparing totally for the postseason, and he's using it as a kind of version, a way to test different things out and just see what works. I I'm a little more skeptical than that. It's... It's been bad, but that being said, it all changes now with less guys to work into the rotation. In many ways, it becomes easier with less guys and who you're going to play, when, and where.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it definitely should be easier um, in theory. Yeah, I'm just... um, Yeah, that's definitely a point of skepticism with me as well, just in terms of Nurse's rotations and how he's been handling that. I just... I can't really buy that there's still tinkering with it and they're still kind of messing with it I think this is just what they are at this point and I was kind of disappointed with Nurse from that standpoint um I do like or I do think um I guess people who would argue that Siakam should come off the bench that would probably be the main reason just because um obviously that bench unit was so successful and Siakam was a part of it but again like you said it's not the same unit and and Siakam's too good to come off the bench right now. And I'd rather see them go with the small look and just kind of stagger the starters better and stop, um, yeah, and just stop playing those lineups. There's no need for them anymore.
1: That's a great point about. I don't think Pascal will come off the bench. I'm, I'm relatively confident, at least in the team's ability to do that. Do you think Abaka and Gasol will be a consistent kind of pairing on a night to night basis, or do you think that that's more matchup-oriented and you might not see it at all
0: some nights? Um, probably more the latter, like, some, like, a few matchups they might play a couple minutes together, hopefully. I mean, I know they probably won't be thrilled playing only 24 minutes each, so maybe they play, like, a couple minutes each half, but I'd probably prefer if they played, like, as little as possible, unless, um... Unless you really have a matchup that dictates that, what I'm with you. Th- yeah, I'm with you there. I, it, to
1: me, at this point, the Serge Ibaka is a center at this time in his career. We've kind of learned that he's no longer a power forward, and that's great. And as much as Mark does face the floor, he, the offense gets a little clunky with two bigs like that out on the floor together. And Serge is best when he's back protecting the rim, and he's always been a better rim protector than an overall defender. So I. I'm a little more skeptical that they'll be able to fit together. But like yeah. you said, it becomes something where, you know, is Mark going to be happy playing 28 minutes? Is or is Serge going to be happy playing 20 minutes? We'll see, and that's something that is easier to manage in theory than it is in practice.
0: Yeah. And um do you know um who do you think is the last um All-Star big man um pretty good floor spacer traded to an eastern conference um, finals contender midseason can you think of one
1: the i'm going way back i can think of rasheed wallace
0: yeah rasheed wallace the L four pistons they played the super team four hall of famers and won the last three out of the last four championships it's destiny. destiny. <laughs> you know, there are a scary
1: amount of parallels between this Golden State team and that oh. last Los Angeles Lakers. You already have the stud team that's dominating the league after a three-peat that gets uh, another big-name addition in DeMarcus Cousin, similar to Carl Malone and Gary Payton. So, yeah, the parallels are there. <laughs> I mean, perhaps yeah. it's destiny.
0: I'm just kind of joking around here. No, but no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure, I mean, like, I don't expect the Warriors to lose, but I mean, if an injury goes one way or the other, I think, um, I think any of these East teams kind of has a higher ceiling possibly than Houston had last season, and I mean, Houston was already um, right there, so you never know.
1: Yeah, to me, it's basically, if you're the Eastern Conference team, you're a Hope is, or I mean, I guess hope makes it seem like a very nefarious thing. Your plan is to get to the finals, and if something happens to happen to Curry or Durant, you're, you know, just as much in it as you could be, and perhaps even the favorite if one of them is completely out for the series. Yeah. So all you got to do is take away one of their top five players, <laughs> and they're just as good as us. So it's just that. Um, <laughs> I guess the last thing we have here is this is being recorded on Saturday. It will post on Sunday. One thing that we like to do is talk about the post-game of the Knicks game before it actually happens. So give me your post-game review of the New York Knicks game that hasn't happened yet.
0: All right. Um, The Raptors get their first win with Marcus Gasol, presumably in the lineup. Um, And the Knicks are bad. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. He's 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 getting there. I mean, he had a big game last night. Um, so yeah, for Saturday's game, the Raptors look good. Um, they're cooking. Pascal Siakam and Marcus Sull. Um, actually, I think Marcus comes off the bench. Um, to for his first game, Siakam and Ibaka start in the front court, and the Raptors look good. Kyle Lowry looks. A little bit healthier, Kawhi Leonard is a little bit more integrated, and things are coming together. Great. I'm,
1: I'm with you there. We'll see if I also predict that he will come off the bench for his first game. Mm-hmm. And die. obviously, with it being the New York Knicks, hope that you can predict a win. If we've lost, then something is going wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then. Yeah.